Welcome to Let's Talk About Life, a podcast brought to you by LifeBank, the organ, eye, and tissue recovery agency in Northeast Ohio. Donation can be a complicated subject, but it is really all about life. So spend a few minutes as we unravel the complexities of donation. So come on, let's talk about life. Hospital scenes where there's trauma and tragedy and unexpected loss are often chaotic and to say the least emotional. In times of shock, disbelief, individuals may feel numb and can have really a difficult time accepting that a loss is occurred or is occurring. In these very darkest of moments, a gentle and calming presence is required. Enter a member of the hospital's pastoral care team. Hi, you're listening to episode 136 of Let's Talk About Life. I'm your host, Colleen Gerber, kidney recipient and LifeBank staff member. There is a special bond between chaplains, ICU staff members, and the LifeBank team. We are all on the front lines working with families during the most complex and heartbreaking time. Clergy are often asked to provide a calming presence for a family losing a loved one and look to them for spirituality, guidance, and healing. Pastoral staff members are often asked to clarify religious or moral questions a potential donor family may have regarding end-of-life issues. Their support and understanding of organ donation and the process is enabling life-saving transplants to occur. Our guest on this episode is Elizabeth Hewitt, Director of Pastoral Care at University Hospitals Health System. Reverend Hewitt, I thank you so much for being here with me and giving us a little insight into the world of pastoral care. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You fill a really big role within UH, and I'm sure you talk to hundreds of families going through similar situations of losing a loved one. Can you explain on a broader sense what your role is at UH? Sure, yes. Um, I'm actually the director of spiritual care here at the Cleveland Medical Center. And so my job is focused on the acute care areas, and that is all the ICUs, the emergency department, and all the other units where there are critically ill patients. And my job is to provide support, comfort, and a non-anxious presence to patients and families who are experiencing a crisis, an end-of-life situation, or any other life-altering medical uh, circumstance. And so a big part of my job is really as a support person. I support patients and families. Some of them do have a mainline religious tradition. Others would say they are not religious at all, but are spiritual. And so no matter what, whether someone has a religious heritage or they don't believe in anything religious, we journey alongside them and the families as well. So we're really there and we uh, receive consults from all aspects of the clinical team, doctors, nurses, social workers. And as a chaplain, I round with doctors and we sit on different committees. And our job is really to provide insight into a patient's story, 
um, what their beliefs are, what they may value, uh, what their culture is. And we provide that information to the medical team so that it can fully inform medical decision making. Well, and and in a way that that person will understand and take to heart. Yes, yes. I've always appreciated the pastoral care um, when I'm in the hospital, just for a sense of security. It provides me with that sense that, A, I'm not alone, and B, there is somebody there who has a broader look at who I am. Um, It's not just about the medical side. It's about me as a person. You're absolutely right. I value the presence of a pastoral cleric or clergy member all the time. It's it's really, it's helped me get through a lot. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I, I like to think that we kind of lower the temperature in a room, you know, that by providing that non-anxious presence and we have a lot more time than a doctor or somebody to sit and talk with families and, and patients and learn about them and what they value and what, what they want in their medical situation. Yes, yes. I'm sure in the years that you have been in this role, you have worked with many donor families and you have worked mm-hmm. with LifeBank. Yes. When that family is making that decision for their loved mm-hmm. one, or mm-hmm. discussing their loved one's decision to be an organ eye and tissue donor. What are some mm-hmm. of the common concerns that you hear from the families? And how do you go through that decision-making process with them? Yes. You know, I want to say that I'm, I'm always there to support families and patients if they're able to speak for themselves and just walk beside them as they make decisions about future donation. Um, or anything that they want to talk about. I do work closely with LifeBank. Uh, they actually do approach families about donations. So I, I don't actually myself do that, but I can certainly inform the LifeBank team on what might be some of the concerns that a family is thinking or feeling when they think, talk about donation. And there's a couple of things that stand out for me, Colleen. One is that I've worked very closely with lots of families who are very, very religious, and some of their traditions believe very strongly in a God of miracles. And so they are waiting uh, for God to miraculously heal their loved one. And so you have to really be conscious about giving that family lots of time to come to terms with the fact that their loved one is not going to heal on this side of their lives. And, and so I really work closely with LifeBank to tell them we have to give the family lots of time. And my mm-hmm. job is to really come to, I tell them after being with them for a while that, you know, healing can take place in the afterlife, not necessarily here on earth. So once they kind of can wrap their minds around that, then they're more easily apt to let their loved one go. And so that's one, they tend to feel like there's hope. And I certainly don't want to say there's no hope, but the hope can be reframed Mm, for them. Interesting, interesting. Yes. And another concern that some families have, because we are a level one trauma center, we get a lot of young people who have perhaps uh, had a tragic, you know, violent event. And depending on the culture, sometimes people feel suspicious of the medical team and that they lash out at me, which is fine because a lot of people are angry at God 
for a violent thing happening to their loved one. And so I'm happy to take the brunt of that. But they're suspicious that maybe we're just wanting their loved one's organs. Yes. And so, but, but then again, it just really, in both of these situations, my job is to really just be present with them, listen to them, ask questions, and then also maybe go a little deeper and help families understand who their loved one is. So I want to hear stories. I want to do a life review. Tell me about your loved one. What did they value? What were their beliefs? And then we can find out more about what this person might want. How would they want to be remembered? So it, it is a lot about reframing and helping people just come to terms. It takes a lot of patience. I can imagine. I can imagine. The, mm-hmm, the number mm-hmm. one myth in the community is that doctors won't save my life if I'm a registered donor. And, right. you know, that really, you know, as much as we address it, it still carries over into these cases. And right. I think we're making headway, but it's it's almost if you have a personal experience with somebody who has either received an organ or you know somebody whose loved one was an organ donor. It's interesting right. though, that you bring that up because that's really prominent in the community. Right. And I remember having a situation where a, a young man was not going to recover and the mother was sitting bedside and she was coming to terms with, you know, his death and that she was wanting to donate. And then the the, the local pastor of that family came in and really kind of turned things around and said that they were just wanting to harvest his organs. So I really had to work with that clergy person, you know, so it's very difficult to balance. Uh, This is someone who they, you know, valued and respected, but I think the information was not helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Education is always the key. Right. What have some of your observations been, though, once the family has made uh, that decision to have their loved ones save and heal lives? Have you observed anything like a sense of calm or a sense of pride? Mm -hmm. Or is there a change in the emotional feelings? What have you seen? Well, you've really just hit everything on the head, Uh, a a tremendous sense of pride and also uh, comfort and peace that they have finally found a way that this is a part of their loved one who's going to live on in, in another person. And this brings so much comfort and it's a way for them to find deep meaning in the midst of a tragic situation. So it's really interesting. You see the dynamics of trying to come to the decision. What would my loved one want if they're not an organ donor already? Or if they are, wow, I didn't know that about them. To see the whole process come to fruition. And then when they decide actually to donate, there's just this huge sigh of relief amongst the family. That this is a way for them to find meaning and a real sense that their family member is is still living. And that is just, you can't really take that away. It's, it, it's wonderful, really. And that whole idea of being so altruistic is to let someone live on in another person and give them life is, is the ultimate gift. Right. And it's a tangible, you know, it's tangible. The right. loved one is, is living on. So Exactly. Yeah. And it's a way for the family to, 
it's a way to find meaning, you know, that they can always be proud to say my, my son died, but he's also, he gave his organs mm-hmm. and you can't take that away. It's very powerful. So yeah. I, I want to switch gears here a little bit. You know, we don't often think about the other side of this is that the medical staff, the team that has been caring for this patient, they have put endless hours and effort into trying to save this individual's life. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to oh, there's nothing else more that can be done and they may be able to be an organ donor, how do you help that staff member who, you know, mm-hmm. they've developed relationships with the family, they feel um, responsible for this patient. How do you mm-hmm. guide them through that loss? Yes. Um, you know, our staff is incredible. They see a lot of things. They take care of our patients in such an incredible way that they do get attached and they do feel lost. Uh, no doubt about it. And so I really you know, like to spend time with the nurses uh, and doctors sometimes too that have been taking care of these patients and, and encourage them to talk about their relationship and to feel the feelings. Uh, we're so used to just saying, well, we got to move on to the next case and um, to have a little time to debrief with them and to encourage them to talk about their feelings and to, to cry if they want to. And a lot of times the staff uh, feel guilty that they couldn't do enough or that they weren't there, but they were. Um, So I have to remind them that they were there, that that person was not alone, that they were there. And sometimes that's enough. So just to encourage them to say, you know, we can't control things. And sometimes this is not within that person's journey. You know, we have to let it go. We have to let it up and, and maybe trust that there's a higher spiritual process for that person. So we can do, you know, debriefs. We can do rituals. I, I do a blessing of the hands for the nurse, nurses and, and the team. We have pet therapy. We take the dogs up there. Oh we just goodness. sit around and talk and, and just provide rituals for the staff. Um, but to really encourage them to say, you know, you were there. Yeah. And that person was not alone. Absolutely. Yes. Right. And, right. And it's hard on them. It is hard on them. And that's why I bring mm-hmm. it up because it's yeah. not as, oh, well, you know, like you said, mm-hmm. on to the next case. I mean, there's mm-hmm. such invo- emotions mm-hmm. involved and they do get involved with the families and such. So, Right. Just, and we do have an honor walk. Uh, so when the patient is uh, going to be taken to the OR for their donation, the nurses line the hallways, and it's a way for them to honor that patient as well. Oh, those are phenomenal. phenomenal. They're really powerful, and everybody comes from all over the, the hospital here at University downtown, and the, the halls are lined up, and it's really, really powerful. Reverend Hewitt, so mm-hmm. I'm just curious. Do you have a personal connection to either donation or transplantation? Well, I do in a little bit of a way. Um, I served a church in Pittsburgh for about four years. And prior to that, I was working at University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And I worked a lot in transplantation, the floors. And I met a man who was waiting for a heart. And he was waiting a, a couple of years. And he started coming to my church. And so we got to know each other very well. And my church supported he and his wife. And And it turned out that on Christmas Eve, when I was doing my service on Christmas Eve, 
I got the message that he received his heart. Oh, my goodness. So we were just celebrating as a congregation. And it was such a wonderful gift to have him get the heart on Christmas Eve. And so I still keep in touch with him and his wife. And so he became part of our congregational family. And um, so that was my, that's my personal experience. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Well, I don't really have any of my own like family or anything like that. But certainly I've been involved with LifeBank and done the the prayer for the memorial service and have met so many people that I've ministered to here at the hospital over the years that have, their loved ones have given uh, their organs. And Mm. so just to reconnect with them and have people say, I remember you, I remember, you know, your kindness during this time. And, you know, it just is so powerful. And I remember those people, you know, they've given the ultimate gift of life, which is such a, a wonderful thing. Yeah, and it's such an affirmation. It really is. It's Absolutely. That I always say it's the best of humanity. Uh, Reverend uh, Hewitt, is there anything mm-hmm. you'd like to share that I didn't ask? Well, I, I think part of my job, too, is to, is to educate people. I mean, I have fellow clergy that do not believe that this should be happening, that, you know, not on my staff, but that uh, don't believe in organ donation. And so I have to do a lot of education around that. And um, no, it's just that you have to meet people where they are and kind of help them through some of their fears. Reverend Hewitt, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and sharing just a little bit of what you do, uh, not only with LifeBank, but for the patients that are in UH. Um, We sure appreciate your hard work as well as your dedication to families, especially families who give the gift of life. Oh, well, thank you so much, Colleen. And thank you for all the work that you do as well. We hope you found today's episode informative and inspirational. You know, you can save lives simply by going to lifebanc.org and registering your donation decision. You can catch Let's Talk About Life on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, but you can always find it at lifebank.org. We thank you for listening and we hope you come back next time. And come on, let's talk about life. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk About Life. If you have questions about today's podcast, reach out to us at info at lifebank.org. Take a few minutes to do something heroic and register to be an organ donor by saying yes at lifebank.org. Literally, someone's life is dependent on it.